Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerials podcast, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? Thank you so much for being with me. Before we get started, um, what's going on with Wrap Your Head Around Silks? Uh, teacher training scheduled for June 24th and 25th. Registration will start for that uh, soon. It's going to be in person in Los Angeles, hybrid with some Zoom hours, and it's going to be Silks Level 1, testing the format. I'm going to slash the price uh, and uh, have you guys uh, come learn with me. We also have some free stuff on my website. Um, We have the three-part video series for Aerial Rehab now available there again. After uh, after some demand for that, I put that back up there. And then there's a free mini course if you just want to check out my style. All right, my friends, today we have Holly Ann Jarvis. She is an aerialist out of the Utah, um, Ogden, Utah area. She specializes in hammock and she's a mama of a two-year-old. We talk all about her prenatal labor postpartum time. We talk about her as a toddler mom and training now that she has a two-year-old. Uh, it's a it's a great story. And if you don't already know Holly, um, let's get to know her now. Let's get started. Uh, my name is Holly Ann Jarvis. I live in Ogden, Utah, and I've been doing aerial now for almost 12 years. Um I'm not from Utah. I moved here about 15 years ago, and my my family was a military family, so we were stationed here, and then I ended up just staying after high school and went to college here, and my background athletically was actually in swimming. I was a swim coach for a competitive youth team for five years. I was the head coach, and I also swam competitively in high school and had some um, high school records. And I got really burnt out through the coaching process. I love teaching. Uh, I feel like I've always been a teacher at heart, but swimming so much and then coaching all the time really burnt me out. So when I was in college or starting my freshman year of college, I felt a little lost, um, movement wise, like I didn't know what kind of exercise to do. I'd always been swimming and I didn't know how to work out in the gym. And I'd always been a wanted to be a dancer. Uh, but since we moved around a lot as a kid, I never could get into like dance programs. And my my dad was a single dad for a while. So like we couldn't afford fancy dance classes or anything like that. So I never found a dance home growing up, but I always admired dancing and wanted to be a dancer and do gymnastics. That was something I always wanted to do, but I ended up swimming because it was way more accessible for me when I was at that stage in my life. So anyways, college, I needed a way to exercise, didn't know how to work out in the gym, hated running, uh, was burnt out on swimming. And one of my friends uh, invited me to come take, it was called Dirty Dancing. And it was like, it was taught by um, you know, a full on stripper, sex worker. She was all in the industry. She taught this amazing dirty dancing class. I had so much fun. I was like, wow, this is, this is very different. And then the studio I went to, um, 
they had the pole and aerial classes and I saw that they had silks. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want to try this. I think this is so cool. I've never really seen a gym that does aerial and pole classes. It was such a, such an anomaly back then. It wasn't as mainstream, obviously, a decade ago. So I took a class and I was immediately hooked on all the things, you know, stretching classes, pole classes, aerial. I mean, you name it. I was doing it every single night for like three class, three or four classes at night. And so I got, I went pretty hard, pretty fast and just was taking classes at this studio that no longer exists here in Utah anymore. Um, she sold the business a long time ago, but yeah, that's kind of how I started. And then over the years, I sort of like floated to different studios. I have my own home studio now, so I'm not teaching super consistently at like a place here in Utah, but I've traveled around the world. I've, I perform and that's now I'm like that weird old lady that now has their, her own home studio and <laughs> just kind of hermits herself. <laughs> that's that's who I am I'm that I'm that stage of aerialist right now uh if you call yourself a strange old lady I think that's most of us I mean we're both we we all have I mean I mean I don't have a you know what I mean like there's stages of aerial like when you're novice and you're really excited about it and then there's (laughs) competitor stage and then there's like your burnout stage and now it's like there's there's different like levels you know (laughs) I I feel you. I'm I'm somewhere on the uh how am I gonna make more money doing this stage? Yeah. You go through that, that stage in there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How am I gonna support myself doing this stage? Um your preferred apparatus, right? Or from what I've seen is hammock. What drew you to hammock versus all the other ones? Um, well, I, when I started doing classes, I actually was really into pole. Um, I was totally doing pole competitions and I was obsessed with it for the first couple of years. And then it was kind of right around that time where the pole star things was happening, where there was like a fanatic craze over pole stars traveling and doing all this stuff. And the industry has changed a lot over the last five or so years, even 10 years. But I felt like at that point, um, I loved pole, but I also really loved hammock. And I loved um, that there was so much uncharted territory with hammock because with the way that I had learned hammock was very, um, I I don't want to say trick based, but it was kind of like aerial yoga based with another layer to it like there wasn't as much dancing and flowing and I really wanted to move and flow in the hammock and I hadn't really seen that so I sort of decided I had to pick a thing you know you can do everything or you can try to do one thing really well and me personally I wanted to try and pick something to do really well and that was hammock I don't know why it just felt like that was you know something that I could potentially make more money and then pull because I wasn't going to be a pole star. <laughs> I mean, I, I just felt like it was already saturated in that sense. And I really wanted to dive into hammock. I loved the way that it felt. I loved how I felt dancing in it and it just felt like the most natural decision to make. So I just went for it and I still do a variety of apparatuses, but I do very little pole now and it's mostly aerial based. Um, my my four apparatuses are silks, 
Hammock, Lyra, and Spansets, in, like or or just um, double loops in uh, in that order. Mm-hmm. And what Hammock gives me that the other four don't is uh, a float. It's like a floating feeling that I cannot get out of any of the other ones, even even Lyra, because Lyra, you're technically supported a lot of the time, but it's still not the same. Like it doesn't have that floating quality that I love out of Hammock. The way that I best describe it is like there's a lot of play with balance and tension of the fabric. I love getting into like different shapes that play with the slack of the hammock. And you can't find that on a steel apparatus, obviously. The steel apparatus is there and it exists and you can't change the shape of it. But hammock, you can change the shape of it. I mean, fabric, any fabric apparatus. But for me personally, I feel like hammock is very malleable for me. I can really do a lot with it that I can't do with other apparatuses. Just for my curiosity, like what's the aerial community like there in in Ogden, Utah? <sighs> the only reason I've heard of Ogden is because that's where I send my taxes. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> we have a really big community here, actually. There's, I think I've lost count of how many studios there are now. And we just, there's another one that just popped up in the last month in Salt Lake. So there's a variety. There's, you know, studios that just focus on kids. There's um, aerial pole studios. There's just pole studios. We have a very large community here. There's a big burlesque community. Um, Okay. So it's pretty expansive. I mean, I feel like a lot of talent comes out of Utah. And I want to say that's because of the competitive dance mindset that Utahans have. A lot of a lot of girls and guys grew up as dan- as like dancers in the competitive world here. So they have that like that go get them attitude. And I want to say that breeds, you know, some pretty exceptional aerialists. We have a lot of really good talent here and a lot of options, I think, for classes. And our classes are really cheap compared to everywhere else. Our classes, if you want to take that helps. classes, you come to Utah because the prices are always fraction a fraction of what other classes are throughout the u.s i swear everybody comes here and they're like classes are so cheap i'm like yeah i know we just can't get it together like everybody charged so <laughs> we charge so little <laughs> so as a consumer it's amazing yeah totally you can take all the classes you can do all the training and it won't even break your bank <laughs> i love it um holly how old is your is your infant your newborn? You'll be two in April. Oh, not an not, not an infant or newborn. Full on toddler. In fact, she's being babysat by the iPad right now because she decided she didn't want to take her nap. So, you know, I'm just praying she stays quiet throughout this, <laughs> so we can finish <laughs> with little. Um, mine. Well, we have a. I have a crib behind me that's got one side open, so it's like a toddler bed, and she's in there with her little, uh, with my phone and her headset. And um, hey, you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> so you have a two-year-old. So this is what's happening in my brain. Time goes in weird ways because in my mind, I saw that you were pregnant and that you had a baby online, and I felt like that was like two seconds ago. I know it goes by not fast. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So you have a home rig. So are you able to train like in pockets of time? Yeah, definitely in pockets of time. Um, You know, before I had a child, a human child and was super naive about what the training schedule would look like. 
I thought I'd have all the time in the world because I have my own space at home to do aerial. And that's just not true. I mean, I probably do aerial more than people who don't, but (laughs) there are are pockets of time for sure. And she does like to crash my aerial training sessions a lot and that's okay. You know, we just have to roll with it, but um, it is very short. My training sessions used to be two hours long, you know, minimum. Yeah. I used to just take my sweet time and now it's like, okay, quickly, can I do a little 30 minute ditty here and then, you know, go do the nap and do the food and all that stuff. So it is very different, but it's a phase, you know, (laughs) for sure. And for me, it's so different because, you know, like I'm, I teach five days a week at like a studio and you know, you carve out the time you're there. So I train with my students. I don't, I I have very little like prep time away from them, but you know, I've been teaching long enough. I can figure it out. So it kind of, it does shift um, from every single mom I've talked to. It's like our efficiency is so high now. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, I can get it done so fast. My friends who don't have kids who and the staff that I know that don't have kids, they're like, man, I need 90 minutes to warm up. I'm like, oh, (laughs) it's over. They waste so much time. You're like, girl, I don't have that much time. Like, I got 45 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, but like for them, it makes so much sense. The same way it made sense to me before, too. So I'm not I'm like, I get it. But it's just it's just not happening anymore for me. Um. When it comes to, because this is something I like to ask all my ladies who are aerialists, who are also moms, if there's anything about your prenatal or postpartum or labor that you'd like to share that might um, add to our worldwide anecdotal evidence of like things, yeah, so people can, can really, um, you know, have examples of, of what to expect. Expect the unexpected. <laughs> is probably the theme of most maternity stories. But I think, okay, starting with pregnancy, I felt like I had a really good pregnancy. It was fairly easy for me for the most part until the last like 10 weeks, I really started to get very heavy feeling and, you know, the the water retention setting in and things just got really uncomfortable I never threw up. I never did like, you know, I didn't have a lot of really bad symptoms just until the end. I would get like random little things here and there. But for the most part, my pregnancy was very easy, very healthy. Um, to me, I've only had one, but to me, it was doable until the end. <laughs> and uh, I did exercise throughout. Swimming was very useful uh in the end when I was really big and everything just felt super uncomfortable I swam a lot I was swimming like every day probably five days a week and I did do aerial until 39 weeks so like the week that I went into labor I was still doing aerial granted it wasn't like crazy stuff you know I was doing a lot of double slings because even just hanging in one sling was a little bit painful for me my body wasn't used to the weight I gained like 40 pounds you know, by the time I gave birth. So my body and my frame just were not used to it. And I did a lot of double slings, which was fun. And it really, I think, helped keep my grip strength up uh, until I was able to train again after I gave birth. Um, But I lost my train of thought. Oh, I, I immediately, when I, when I found out I was pregnant, I 
pretty much stopped doing any kind of dynamic drops, you know, anything that was going to be an impact, I didn't do. And I could do a lot. I was doing straight arm aerial inverts until like 32 weeks. So I had a... Wow. And I was still inverting. And I know that's not the case for a lot of people. And I do think I have a long torso, which helped keep my belly in. You know, people who have short torsos and ribs, their belly like goes out and then it makes what they're doing even more difficult than someone like me with a long torso. So I get that's not everyone's story, but I was able to invert still. I was able to do a lot and I would just slowly take away things that felt uncomfortable. And I had a certified nurse midwife deliver and she did all my prenatal care. She was amazing and so supportive of me continuing to do what I do. She was like, anything that you've done up until this point, you're welcome to keep doing as long as it's not painful for you. And there's nothing like happening physically. She's like, you can keep doing aerial as long as you want. She was very supportive of that. So that was helpful for me because in the back of your mind, you know, you got the monkey wheels turning like, oh, I need to stop now or I need to do this. But I would just listen to my body. I practiced paying attention to what felt good and what didn't. And anything that didn't feel good, I took it out immediately, which wasn't until the very end, really. I still did a lot until the very end. And so what did you choose for your like your birth plan? And did it go as planned? (laughs) Well, I didn't do a lot of preparing. I'm realizing in, you know, retrospect, I'm like, well, I didn't do any birth classes. I tried to listen to, I listened to a lot of podcasts. Actually, I found your podcast when I was pregnant. So it was really cool when you reached out to me. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, So I listened to a lot of podcasts. I tried to get into hypnobirthing. And of course I was like, I'm going to do a natural pregnancy. I'm tough. I'm athletic. Like I can, I can do it. And I didn't prepare as much for how hard it would be. You know, I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't know how painful it really was, obviously. And are you talking about without an epidural? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to do a natural birth was just Without preparation, you know, proper preparation, I think mentally to get into a headspace where you could relax. That's the component I think I was really missing in order to successfully deliver without an epidural or, you know, assistance. So I wanted to give birth unmedicated. I didn't want to do a home birth because I was too scared for that. But I had planned to deliver in a hospital and I wanted to go unmedicated. And when I went into labor, um, I was in, I was like freaking out thinking my baby was coming out right then. You know, I was like, oh, this is, this is really hurting. Like, is this normal? I feel like it's come on really fast. And when I got to the hospital, cause my midwife said, well, if they're this many seconds apart or minutes apart, then you need to go. Um, and so I went and they were like, you're dilated to a two. And I was like, a two? What do you mean a two? Yeah. <laughs> it feels like an 11. <laughs> and they were like, well, we might have to send you home. And I'm like, send me home. I sat in the passenger of the passenger seat of the car on the way here. And I thought I was going to die. Like driving in the car while you're in labor is the worst ever because there's nothing you can do to get comfortable. So I didn't want to go back home and then come back. And I was like, 
freaking out. Like, don't send me home. So that just kind of snowballed into I had to be in labor at the hospital. They have the most uncomfortable beds in the world where I was. Like, it was not a very soothing or comfortable space. So I couldn't relax. And then my labor started to progress. And then it started to go backwards because I was so tense. My cervix would not relax. And so my labor, I started, I was dilated to like a five. And then I started to dilate like back to a three or something. So. Okay. (laughs) Why have I never heard of that? I know. I didn't know that could happen. But apparently I was so tense that my cervix just started to close on up. Like it was like, yep, we're not doing this. It's not happening. So at that point. I was exhausted. I went into the hospital, I think it was like 930 on the night of the 13th, and I labored. Uh, The details are so fuzzy. I should have reviewed my little notes that I took so I wouldn't forget. I think I labored until 7 in the morning, unmedicated, and then I finally got an epidural at like 7 something, and then she was born at 2. So, yeah, it was a it was a ride. It was a wild ride. Um, I didn't know that labors could kind of go backwards. I didn't know that that's a thing. And I just wasn't prepared for how hard it would be to relax. It wasn't even necessarily how painful it was because it's painful. But it's the relaxing part that I had a time with. And I have a little bit of a theory on this. I have a theory. Oh, I would I would love to hear this. I was pretty active throughout my pregnancy, very active before my pregnancy. I've been an athlete for many, many years, right? I feel like I have a very strong core. My transverse abs are like, you know, they were solid when I was pregnant, right? And before. And then when you're in labor, all of the stuff is contracting. And it's used to like being in this engaged you know, state, right? When you're doing all these exercises. And I think my core, I'm not saying I was in like tippity top shape when I was giving birth, but I think my core was sort of fighting, um, especially since I didn't have the tools to be able to like relax the muscles and relax my, my deep core muscles, my transverse abs. I think it was literally creating like a, a castle wall (laughs) against my baby's body trying to push through, the cervix. Does that make sense? It just felt like, a yeah, if you've ever been in labor long enough to feel like when the baby moves down, to me, it felt like a battering ram was like slamming against my cervix. And, or, you know, it was my baby was trying to push through and it was like, nope, not happening. Like, it just felt like a battering ram, like hitting the walls of the castle door over and over and over again. And I was like, what is this pain? I don't even know how to describe this pain. But because I couldn't relax, the doors would not open. So it just all went backwards. And then I ended up getting an epidural, which was the greatest decision ever, by the way. Um, I had a wonderful birth. I felt like it was the perfect epidural. I didn't even feel the epidural when he put it in. I was I was having contractions while he was putting it in. And I didn't even feel it. Um, by the time I gave birth, I could still push. I could still feel her. I could still, you know, 
move a little bit. So it was like the perfect amount of epidural because I could still feel what was happening and I wasn't just laying there like totally paralyzed. And that was one of my fears that I had. I didn't want to not feel and have sensations. And so it ended up being a great decision, you know, and I felt kind of bad for it. Um, in the moment I like bawled my eyes out when I decided to get an epidural, but I have no regrets about it. And that, that regret only lasted for like five minutes. And then I was like, okay, everything's fine now. Well, because you were, you were able to relax after that it helps you relax basically. And there's so many like hormones, like rushing through you in those first like 24 hours. And in that moment of labor, like there's so much happening that like you, you cry and then you're like, Oh, okay. I'm, you know, I made the right decision and there's just, there's a lot going on. So you only get to like, really analyze things longer down the road after the fact when you've come to your senses and you're not feeling so wild because you feel wild. I felt like a primal beast and (laughs) I felt like (laughs) I felt very not myself, but you know, it was, it, it all worked out. She came out super healthy. It was magical. My husband and was there and we were like the only ones in the room besides the nurse midwife and her assistant. And it was just fantastic. I loved it. I don't know if I want to do it again, super quickly. (laughs) I mean, two years is, you know, a while, but it was, it worked out the way it should. Holly Ann, uh, how old were you when you had your baby? How old? (sighs) How old am I now? I'm 30. (laughs) I'm 33 now, so I was 31. So 31. Okay, so in that moment where you were disappointed that you decided that you wanted to get the epidural, like in that moment, were you disappointed in yourself or something? Really, I was. I was so disappointed. Okay. And I don't know where that disappointment really comes from. Like if I was internalizing disappointment that I hear in the chitter chatter of society's background or if it was like a disappointment that I really truly had in myself maybe a combination of both I I was disappointed but it was so brief and then I realized that I had made the best decision for us and so I was fine with it but you know I had always dreamed of that moment in retrospect that moment is so fleeting and it really doesn't matter you know (laughs) in the grand scheme of things there's so much that happens after birth when your person is actually here and the real work begins as a mother, you know, not that it's not real work to build a human inside of your body and birth it, but there's so many other important things in the life of your child than whether or not you decided to get medicated for your birth. So um, once I understood that and you know, really once the drugs kicked in, I was like, oh yeah, I don't care. And then when the baby came, all the oxytocin hormones came in and I was yeah. like, oh yeah, this is the best ever. I want to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do feel like, and it has been a constant theme in, in the podcast, like the the idea of tension in the body mm-hmm. and labor and us, you know, us aerialists who, you know, we... <laughs> We pride ourselves in the amount of tension that we have in our bodies, but it doesn't always work in our favor. Like it doesn't always serve us 
creating some prolapse and, and stuff. I just went to a colorectal surgeon to deal with a problem, like an issue. Like I had like a, a, a rectal operation when I was six months old. Oh, wow. And there's some, there's some things like anatomically going on that I never got checked out after that. I mean, it, it was like, I got the operation 78. Like, and then the 80s, you're literally like raising yourself, you know, like your parents. <laughs> I mean, I was born right at the end, but even in the 90s, you know, we we played until the streetlights came on. So it was. Yeah. Or like the we had the Super Nintendo, the first one, yeah. me and my siblings, and we just played it. And my mom, my parents both went to work. You know, it's like no one was checking out my anatomy as, you know, as a teenager, whatever. So dealing with some stuff, but he asked me, the doctor asked me if I had a C-section or if I had a vaginal looking at my pelvic floor today as a 45 year old. And he's like, did you have, did you have vaginal birth? I was like, no, I I ended up having a C-section. He's like, you will never regret that a day in your life because you're messed up down there in the first place. I'm like, man, but you can always (laughs) just go in and fix it. Right. Well, that's that's the that's the goal to go in there and like make things better, which is what I'm trying to do now. Yeah. As a full on adult wanting my health to be better. But anyways, (laughs) my point is, is that, yeah, it's I hear this a lot, like um, disappointment around either getting an unplanned epidural or an unplanned C-section. So many emotions. And then you're hormones are just hitting in the face with so many emotions and it's so tough. But, um, I think that this is important because a lot of, a lot of women have been saying, okay, if you guys could, if you could talk to people about their identity process and then, you know, the emotions around the birth. So for you, what was that transition like from not a mom to a mom? Man, Carrie, I'm going to be honest. It was rough. That was yeah. That was the hardest part for me. I think through this whole process was my identity crisis. And okay, so I gave birth in 2021 in April. So we were still in a pandemic. I I I had a COVID baby, right? And it was kind of a great time to be pregnant because nothing was happening. I didn't have the FOMO of missing out on workshops or doing cool performances because there was nothing going on. So it was a great time to be pregnant. But then after I gave birth, I mean, I was already nervous about what my life would look like before, long before I got pregnant. This was a fear that I had because I'm a, you know, I'm like a lot of people. I don't love when things change drastically and you kind of have to reinvent yourself. Like that's really, that's really hard for me to do sometimes. So imagining going from zero to one child was uh, pretty scary. And then I talked myself through like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. Like we want to have a baby and we want to do this. And now's the time. I'm not getting any younger. I waited as long as I felt like I could. And I felt like I had done enough in my life personally. And you know, with my husband and I were married for five years before we got pregnant. So um, I felt like I had done enough to feel okay with slowing down. And just for me as a like doer and a overachiever in that sense, I had to feel like I had some success behind me in order to, you know, dive into this new world. So after I had my baby, we were still like, you know, pandemic 
I got very hermity, which I think you do for the most part after you have a baby, regardless of if you're in a pandemic or not. I think at least a lot of my circle of friends get very hermity and they just care for the baby. And that's like the, the number one. And I think nature intends it that way. I think you just, your brain changes chemically and suddenly you have this person to care for. And that's the most important thing in the world and everything else just falls off the radar. And that's totally normal. But when you are in the moment of experiencing that, it's very difficult to wrap your head around that it is normal and you feel like you've lost yourself. And I felt very lost for a long time. I didn't recognize my body. I didn't recognize my schedule or my lack of a schedule. Everything about my world felt like it was upside down. Um, but I also felt like I was in a really good place to have a baby. So I'm like, well, I can't complain because I don't have to go like send my baby to daycare after six weeks and go work full time at a desk, you know, like some other moms do. My husband's around a lot more than maybe other other husbands might be. So I can't complain, you know, like I have it pretty good. And I did enjoy the immediate like postpartum state. I loved snuggling my baby. I I ate that up because I knew it was going to happen so fast. I had heard people say it over and over, like, enjoy those moments that go by so fast. So I made a conscious effort to really enjoy that part. Um, and even though I felt like I had it fairly, quote unquote, easy and I was enjoying it to the fullest, it still felt very difficult. Um, and then like later on, probably uh, closer to a year after, I mean, I feel like I've just barely come out of my hermity stage, to be honest. She's almost two. And I finally feel like I'm ready to chase after some dreams again. And it's been two years almost. So if that tells you anything, it takes a long time to process those feelings. Um, the other thing I struggled with was since we were still kind of in this pandemic, uh, not really lockdown, lockdown, but a lot of things were still closed down or not fully functioning as normal. So our gym, for example, we were going to when I was pregnant, their daycare, uh, they didn't allow children under two. So I had this newborn and when it was normally six weeks or six months, I can't remember, you could take your baby to daycare and you could go do a workout. I felt trapped inside my house because I couldn't go anywhere. Nobody was coming to visit really because it was still COVID. So I felt very lonely. I felt lost and I felt like I couldn't exercise like I wanted to. And then finally we found a gym where I could take my baby at six months and we went and I was like, I was so much better after that, but it took a while to um, get over that. I also had a lot of postpartum anxiety and rage which nobody had ever talked about before. You hear about postpartum depression. Nobody talks about the rage. The rage is so scary and it was so not me. Um, I've always been a little bit of an anxious person, um, you know, depending on my life situation. I think anxiety is fairly normal. I mean, your body has anxiety for a reason. Oh, that's so sweet. She came to love on you. <laughs> um but nobody talks about the rage that you get. And that was really hard to learn how to deal with and overcome. So the identity was definitely the hardest part for me. I think even more so than pregnancy was dealing with the postpartum stuff. That was, that was a struggle. 
Well, I have anxiety anyway. I'm I'm medicated anyway all the time, regardless of pregnancy or not. Um, and my anxiety takes the form of a lot of weepiness. It takes the form of um, kind of like a, a growing tension in my heart and my in my rib cage. And then it goes into my face and head and then it turns into tears. Wow. It's almost visceral. Like I like you have a not necessarily physical reaction to anxiety. Yeah. And then it turns into what would I think chemically match depression where you get tired and you want to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Weepy, tired, I'm weepy and tired. And then uh, not, not quickness of breath, but almost like if whatever I'm anxious about doesn't get resolved right away, it builds so quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's me. Like if, if I'm like, anticipating my my partner getting home because I just can't be alone for one more hour of the day with my newborn. If he's late, those minutes start ticking by and it starts to elevate in my body, like very physically. And so after I was put back on my medication, it became so much easier, but I don't really know what the rage, what the, what the rage um, that you're talking about would look like. Like what is what did that look like on a on a daily basis? For me, it, it felt it was having outbursts of rage, of feeling so frustrated and out of control. Like something would happen, or um, a constant like sound, like a baby crying, you know, or a toddler whining throughout the day. And, you know, for me, if something, if the day just kind of falls apart and there's not any sense of order and I'm like very irritable, those things just start to compound and they start to eat away at me. And I would just have like an outburst, like something would tip me off. You know, my husband would come in and say something not the right way to me and I would just lose it. And it was so uncontrollable. I would be like shouting sometimes you know, like letting out a scream just to like get it out of my body. And I've never been that person ever. I've never had that kind of anger before. And um, exercise has helped. Dopamine helps with, (laughs) with those feelings, you know, subsiding. And I don't, I wouldn't say I'm experiencing it as much anymore, but definitely around like the 10 month mark, she started to get pretty difficult with everything <laughs> like the the happy newborn stage for me started to wear off and then things got really difficult when she was 10 months old my baby was very mobile super early so i mean i can't say super early because what's normal for a baby you know but i would have liked for her to be a potato for a little bit longer and she wasn't a potato (laughs) i would have loved a potato baby that just sat there and looked at me and cooed and cawed but that's not what she did she decided to like start walking at seven months old so um walking all in furniture and then she was walking on her own at like nine months so wow, he was climbing up stairs and ladders at 10 months old. And I was like, okay, this is how this is going to be. Like, I already have to baby proof. So yeah, <laughs> 10 months to like, you know, 16 months was a rough time. And now she's 
22 months and I feel like things are finding their normal. Um, I'm assuming that that rage was really hard on your relationship yeah with your husband I'm assuming that's the only way for that to go (laughs) yeah yeah I mean we've been through it a little bit but he's been really great at trying to understand you know what I what I've experienced and it's not like he hasn't experienced a whole life shift too but I have a lot more hormones to deal with and I'm still nursing. So I feel like my hormones are still not totally normal yet. Um, so, you know, it just takes time and it, the process of recovery just looks a lot slower for me than I think I even imagined because my pregnancy felt so easy. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be like so normal within months. And there's just a lot that a lot of healing that takes place physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I've had to really give myself the time to heal. Um, especially my mental healing. There were, you know, times where I wasn't in a great place, but I gave myself space to just heal and process. And I think it's, been helpful. It just has looked a lot slower than I think sometimes other people seem to just bounce back really quick. You know, you hear that bounce back, bounce back, bounce back. And I don't think that happens for everybody. If you have any advice for those ladies out there who are kind of encountering this prenatal and postpartum phase of their life and, uh, you know, if you have any advice compared to like your experience. Oh, man. (laughs) Um, I would say give yourself time and don't judge yourself too harshly. Um, pregnancy, birth, motherhood is nothing like I expected and everything that I expected in a way. I didn't expect it to be so hard, but I also didn't expect it to be so wonderful at the same time. Um, so it is worth it. And that's a little bit cliche to say because everybody says that about their own kids, <laughs> but it is worth it. And it is, um, it is a mindset shift because suddenly somebody else becomes more important than yourself. And I honestly feel like that was good for me because as an artist person and a dancer and a performer, you know, I'm a Leo. I'm a little bit selfish. I'm a little bit, um, as a performer and a dancer, you just, you like to be maybe the center of attention and suddenly your baby is the center of attention. And I feel like that was a really good, um, mind mindset shift for me to focus on something else. I I had a lot of anxieties over a lot of stupid things before I had a baby. And now none of those things matter. And that's not the purpose of having a child. You know, the purpose of having a child is not to, to make you better necessarily, but it's sort of a byproduct of uh, going through that process, becoming a mother. You just, you grow inevitably and, um, there are a lot of hard moments and I think things like this podcast and other resources are awesome to attach yourself to because there isn't a lot of support for 
aerial moms. That's something that I really discovered. And, you know, I tried to write a few blogs here and there on my website and um, trying to think about how I can contribute to the conversation just so that other aerial moms know that they're not alone in what they experience, because I think our experience is very unique. And it's great that we are coming into a time where there are a lot more aerialists having children and now we have stories to share. So um, I love that this podcast exists. I love that other resources exist. And I hope that, you know, more people can contribute in that way because it definitely helped me to know that there were other people like me. And yeah, you'll make it through. If you're in the hard place, if you're in the identity crisis, I can tell you that your identity will just keep shifting. And it's kind of something that you have to get used to a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's it's all good. It works out in the end. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) I I was a poli-sci major. And I have to say, later in my life when... Uh, you know, I have a little time on my hands to focus on other things. I might, I might lobby, I might try to start something to get women's physical therapy to advocate for, for women, um, to have physical therapy covered for every pregnancy with the insurance. Like it is bananas that we, I mean, C-sections and vaginal births alike. We should have PT. Totally covered it should be it should be a part of the process as much as the prenatal part is um and there should be at least one one mental health check there has to be there is none and it's crazy it is crazy to me like how much focus there is on the pregnancy and then how you're just kind of set free after that six week mark with your with your doctor your midwife and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I have nobody really checking in on me and nobody telling me like what's normal and what's not normal. Like your body is all of a sudden just wrecked and you have to figure out how to deal with it uh, along with, you know, keeping someone alive. So it is a struggle. And I think there should be way more focus on the support after the fact in the fourth trimester and even beyond. I mean, Yeah, I love that you want to do that. And I think it's been better. You know, I think there's been more awareness in the aftermath of pregnancy than there used to be. Now, especially in the states where there are some states that there could be women in positions where they are, you know, seeing a seeing a seeing a pregnancy all the way through when they didn't plan to all of that. Even more reason Mm -hmm. to have a. you know, a better structure around mental, physical, mental health after the fact, because, you know, it's just too much. Um, But speaking of too much, the bean is like enough mama with the podcast. So it was great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. I am excited to to be part of this podcast forever and ever. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, guys, we'll see you later. Say bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You want to say bye, Bean? Bye. Bye.
All right, my friends. Uh, thank you so much to Holly for carving out the time to be with me. I know it is not easy with a toddler and, uh, you know, you're on your own and you're trying to get things done. It's, it's, uh, it can be challenging. Um, for my, for my listeners, if you're interested in anything that I have there on my website, uh, teacher training coming, Aero Rehab, we've got, uh, my main course and then also a free course if you just want to check it out. Uh, it's in the show notes. And then thank you to sound engineer Asa Watkins. If you would please honor me with a five star rating and a review, it means so much to me. Smash the five stars, leave a sentence. I'll highlight you on my website. And uh, yeah, I thank you so much for being here. I will see you guys next time. Over and out. This is the Expecting Aerialist with Digital Podcasts.